Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ask Key Anything presented by Mosher Consulting. I'm your host, Angel Leon, Mosher's HR advisor. This week, we're doing part one of two of a very interesting topic that I know you'll enjoy. We'll be talking about workplace empathy. What is this, you ask? How can empathy be a primary ingredient of your workplace culture? How does empathy affect leadership? All of that and much more will be answered in today's episode by our guest, Liesl Murtis, an acclaimed workplace empathy expert. Having experienced her own loss and struggle, Liesl emerged with a deep understanding of what employees need to feel supported at work after a disruptive life event. As the founder of Handle with Care, Liesl works with groups that want to boost employee satisfaction as well as attract and retain better talent. Liesl works with companies spanning industries from RB manufacturers to diplomats to tech companies, both locally and internationally. Her favorite clients are forward-thinking organizations who know the value in supporting their employees with empathy and compassion. Her expertise is broad, loss, returning to work, cultivating resiliency, compassion fatigue, how empathy impacts the brain, and no disruption is considered less significant. On these topics, Lisa is a dedicated speaker, writer, consultant, and host of the Handle We Care podcast. Lisa earned a bachelor's degree in political science and a master's degree in business administration. She has worked in Nairobi, consulted in Fiji, and led cohorts in Ghana. Her adventures brought her to Indiana, where she is a proud mother, wife, and lover of time spent on the water. Through her actionable strategies, real-life stories, and passionate commitment, Liso helps people survive, stabilize, and thrive in the aftermath of adversity. Liso, it's great to have you on Ask you Anything this week. Thank you for coming on and sharing your expertise on this fascinating topic. How are you? I'm well. It's, a, it's always kind of an unexpected pleasure to hear someone else read out about you. You did a great job. Oh, thank you. Well, you have a very impressive resume and some very impressive experiences. Um, and empathy overall, I mean, I think I can honestly simply define it as the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. But in the workplace, this has, I feel, a larger footprint. I think you'll agree that empathy might be a superpower, something that comes naturally to someone. And when it comes to the workplace, it is key for leaders and managers to have empathy, to try and put themselves in the shoes of their employees so that they can understand the nature of the situation. I agree. And I think the last almost two years now of the COVID pandemic has just placed managers, HR leaders again and again in these positions. Um, more and more as I talk with companies that, um, whether that's doing consulting work or speaking, I'll ask them, do you feel like you're giving your people what they need to stay engaged in the midst of all of the disruptive life events that are being thrown at them and you know the burden and mental wellness and the unpredictability of the market and job descriptions and there's kind of a, a scared and unsure look in their eyes as they say well we, we hope so but we really don't know and empathy is a huge part of closing that gap of really supporting people consistently and well so i that is a great explanation about empathy i I really agree with everything you said, especially over the last year. And I, and I want to cover that here shortly, but I want to start simple. I want you to define for us what's empathy. So Brene Brown, guru of the moment, I'm going to take from one of her descriptions from one of her books. And she talks about uh, what empathy is and what it's not. She says, empathy is about identifying with 
the feelings, not necessarily the lived experiences of others. And let me unpack that a little bit. Um, so in our workplaces this year, there have been those who have lost a parent to COVID, which would be a really hard loss. Mm -hmm. I'm privileged to have both my parents still living. If I focus on the experience of not having the same experience, that could also be an experience of racialized exclusion. If I think, oh, I've never, I've never experienced that. I have no idea what that's like. All of those mental pivots actually move me further away from another person. Instead, if I focus on connecting to the emotions that underpin that experience, it'll get me a lot closer. So again, to return to that example of someone who has had a parent die, although I haven't had a parent die, I could think what it might be like to have a parent die. Right. I might be feeling really sad. I might be feeling really overwhelmed or alienated. And I have actually felt all of those things. And while this isn't like a 100% match, I might assume that someone is feeling sad when really they're feeling angry. Um, so we still have to have room to pivot, to orient ourselves to the person right in front of us. If we move closer to identifying with those emotions that underpin the experience, um, it will really help us identify in a more powerful way. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, just to kind of unpack what you just said, even if I haven't had the experience that the person in front of me has had, like to use your example, I'm lucky like you that I still have both of my parents alive. But if I have somebody under, under, you know, that works with me, that reports to me, or that's just my peer and they just lost their parent, maybe I haven't had that specific experience, but I might've had some of those feelings in other experiences that can help me identify myself with them. Right. And all of this is um, in service of the ultimate goal of giving people more confidence to move into these situations. I talk about having uh, tools in your empathy toolkit, because a lot of times these feelings, I mean, they touch on our own situations of loss. They make us feel uncomfortable. I mean, we're not, yeah. we're not good at talking about pain. But if we are, you know, if we as coworkers or managers, surveys have been done asking people, you know, who would you most like to check in with you when something has gone sideways? Um, the least likely group that people say, oh, I want them is HR. And this is, you know, no offense <laughs> to you or other fantastic HR professionals, but we want to turf this whole responsibility of care of people. Oh, well, that's the HR department or that's the EAP department. When really, if we can have a basic set of skills and actionable strategies of understanding where we go sideways in these dynamics. Okay, if I know where I tend to go off the rails and end up not supporting someone, then I can do things better by putting these strategies into place. And we can really take the load off of HR and build a lot more trust, cohesion, vulnerability, and just a sense of camaraderie within our teams. Oh, I, I certainly agree with everything you said, especially the part, I mean, I, I look at it from a leadership standpoint, if I'm a manager, if I'm a leader, I want my employees, the people that report to me, to know that I'm there for them, that I have, that I have their trust so that if a situation comes up for them, they can come to me and talk to me about that situation and I can, and I can just help them in any way that I can. I can be that first um, first line of, of basically usability from an organizational standpoint. 
And then you bring that up maybe to the HR person that then maybe they have different resources that can help with, you know, going back to the loss example, the loss of a parent, then maybe they can have a resource that can help with that loss, that can help with the grieving process. Maybe they have the EAP uh, that can provide some assistance that they can get maybe a licensed uh, professional that they can talk to. And maybe those feelings can come out in a different scenario, but at least as a leader, I've bridged that gap and I've been able to just make that first connection, that first introduction between the employee, the issue, and how I can cooperate or support that employee. I love how you just described that. It ties into a concept that I use oftentimes in my consulting work, which is being a workplace first responder. Because in yes. the field of physical care, we figured this out, like a first responder, they, um, they don't have to go to as many years of school as an orthopedic surgeon. They're, they know what they are and they know what they are not. Um, but what they do have is they have this basic um, toolkit and set of skills that they can deploy to help stabilize someone to their next level of care. And it's that same idea, exactly what you said in the social and emotional realm. Um, mm -hmm. Lots of times when I begin talking with, with managers or CEOs who wouldn't really define themselves as naturally empathetic, you can see their eyes kind of cloud over. And they even ask the specific question, like, am I going to have to be a counselor? Am I going to have to be a psychotherapist? And oh, yeah. the answer is no. Like, you need to, <laughs> there's a, a dozen re reasons why you shouldn't, <laughs> involving legality, involving skill set. The same way that, like, the first responder is, again, he's not a neurosurgeon um, or she mm -hmm. is. But if you can have these basic skills, you can help stabilize someone to whatever next level of care they need. And sometimes, just like a first responder who comes and gives somebody a knee brace when they've twisted their knee, sometimes that is all they need. They don't need those next levels of care. Um, but yeah, so I agree. I like that concept that you described. Oh, thank you. I that's um, So I've, I've been both in the place of a manager, I've managed in a non-HR role, I've managed in an HR role, and now I'm a non-HR, uh, a non-manager HR person right now. So I've kind of been on on both sides of the coin. So I realize that our role as leaders, and anybody can be a leader, it doesn't have to be specifically somebody with the title of a manager, because if I'm the coworker, say a producer Brian, and producer Brian comes to me and, and he uh, confides in me an issue, I can maybe provide that same level of comfort that maybe his manager can. Maybe provide that, you know, sort quote unquote CPR right then and there, and then just kind of help him to maybe then, okay, maybe the right step would be to go to my manager and, you know, talk it out with them and they know what's going on. And then, that person then goes, goes around and goes to HR. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I've always, whenever I was confronted with situations like this, when I was a manager and even uh, as a non HR manager right now, that's my first step. My first step is always to go to, okay, how can I help you immediately? Because there is def there is a definite immediate need. We just need to figure out what that is. And then we go from there. We, we talk it out and, you know, I always, I oftentimes use the term baby steps. We take baby steps towards resolving the issue. Not everything gets resolved in one day, obviously. It, some things are larger um, because that's just the nature of every, every issue. So then we just at least take some steps to make sure that we're addressing those things right away. 
right. I, I talk about that critical first day responses, first week, and then first month. And all of those are rough benchmarks where there are some, in some important things that you can do to make sure that you're not losing the thread of support. Um, and also just checking in on things like workflow or dispersal of projects across a team. And there's so many, there's like the pivotal moments with the individual there's also pivotal moments in how you communicate to the rest of your team. So if somebody has to be out for a funeral, if you as um, you know, a team lead communicate with the rest of the team, you know, I cannot believe that on hell has to be out. This is our busiest time of year. We're going to be slammed. Like it's so inconvenient. If you communicate that sense of stress and overwhelm and like that, you're just annoyed because someone has not met their efficiency quota What that subtly plants in people's minds is I better not ever be in need because look at how our organization deals mm -hmm. with people who are in, in need. And so I actually, I'll coach leaders through what does it sound like to give that news for the first time? You can give that same news, even that people have to pick up extra work and it can sound instead like, you know what, Angel has to be, he has to be out for the next couple of days. He's had some substantial stuff go on in his personal life. And this is a busy time of year and we're all going to need to pick up some extra work. But I wanna let you know as the manager, I'm going to be here to help you be successful. This is part of what we do as a team that comes together because we're a culture that really cares about supporting each other and who knows when any of us could be next. Like that's such a totally different tone, um, but we just don't put intention into thinking mm -hmm. about these things or these discussions. Then we end up shooting from the hip and not realizing how we've created kind of like toxic work obsessed cultures that won't leave room for the whole person. Yeah. And that brings up a point that I wanted to touch uh, on during this conversation. And that is the differences between sympathy and empathy. Um, because these two terms obviously are different, but they can sometimes veer into each other's territory, if you will. Sometimes we might feel the urge to feel sympathy instead of empathy. Uh, when we're using sympathy, we might be feeling pity for another person without really understanding what it's like to be in their situation. Whereas with empathy, you're putting yourself in on that other person's shoes, experiencing their emotions while going through that pro process. Yeah, I think that's a great definition. And if anyone wants to see it um, really visually in a beautiful way, you can uh, YouTube uh, Brene Brown on sympathy versus empathy. And there's a great little cartoon with a, an animated bear down in a hole. And it's, it's that idea of sympathy as being at the, the top of the hole, looking down, being like, it's got to stink to be down in that hole versus empathy, being able to, to drop a rope down and uh, not like um, stay in the milieu of just navel gazing and it's so sad, but at least that identification, like I've been in the pit as well. And it's, it's interesting, especially like the, the higher profile that the need for social and emotional care in the workplace has gotten over the last year or two, um, that the data is rising. Even the conferences I speak at, I used to be like a lone voice in the wilderness three years ago. And now this year, I mean, we're talking about trauma. We're talking about stress. We're talking about lack of connection. And there are some heavyweights um, in the world of psychology and all kinds of things who 
are jumping in, whether that's, whether we call it languishing or is empathy the right term or does it need to be compassion? And you can really get like uh, in a scholarly sense, deep in the weeds on like, what is the best term and how should we say it? I don't necessarily think that that is the primary best use of energy. Like we, we need just a, a primary school beginning of skilling up in these things. Um, but yes, you, it's a fascinating study of words. Well, I think everything you just mentioned, obviously the pandemic just kind of extrapolated everything out, um, you know, just reading into everything that's going on right now from uh, the great resignation where people are just quitting their jobs for, you know, a plethora of reasons, obviously more flexibility, things like that. And those things, the pandemic actually just made them larger because the pandemic, if it had one good or bad effect I want to say on the workforce is that it proved that a lot of people can work remotely and work remotely effectively. And so now that people are getting, you know, vaccinated and, and cases are coming down, et cetera. Now organizations have started to call those people back. And those people are saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've demonstrated over the past year and a half that I can be effective and productive while even being at home. Why can't I just stay here? And so People are starting to throw around terms that we've always heard, like burnout and, as you mentioned, disconnect and, and you know, low engagement. But those terms have always been around. It's just that the pandemic just kind of extrapolated everything and just kind of brought them up to the surface and brought them up to the surface and just kind of put them at the forefront of everything that everybody else is feeling. So... While I'm, I was okay over the last year working from home. Now I don't really want to go back to the office. I don't want to. I I, I really have shown that I can work uh, productively at home. That I can go for a walk, a 15, 30 minute walk. That's going to refresh my mind, and then I can go go right back to work. Sit down in my office, and then do everything that I need to do at the same rate that I was doing it, and probably even sometimes even better than than when I was in the office. Yeah, it's uh, these are freighted conversations that people across industries are having. I can think of a company I've consulted with um, recently who like two thirds of the workforce um, were frontline workers. Like they were in, they were in shipping, they were in the warehouses and the other third, you know, is at home. And even um what you've said, you know, these, these people who they don't want to come back to the office and they're saying it's, it's so good to be able to be at home. Can you imagine some of the resentment in those discussions with the people who are like, we have never even had an option, you know, oh, yeah. now you're whining about come. It's just so easy to, and I'm not saying that someone's right or wrong, but like understanding the emotional space that everyone comes from. And that doesn't have to dictate your ultimate decision, but so many HR professionals and executive teams. I mean, you know, they're finding themselves in the thick of it of like, how do we hear people? How do we communicate care and understanding and where they're coming from and yet still make a decision that might be different than what they want or in line. And, you know, I can think of a large company that I'm talking with and uh, they direct the, the working parents group. And there were tons of articles at the beginning of the pandemic of like, as the needs of working parents and the complication of at-home school and all of these like single or, you know, non-parenting couples who were like, well, what about us? Don't we get mm -hmm. special accommodations and special time off? And you can see how working parents would be like, screw you, you don't have to do it. And how these other people could think you're getting all these special accommodations. What, like just, you chose to have kids and 
All of these things are really fraying at the fabric of our human interactions. And empathy doesn't magically make those issues go away, mm. but it really puts like the radical humanity of the other person uh, at the fore. And you don't have to agree with someone to empathize with them. Right. Yeah. And, and in that scenario you bring up with, with the working parents and the non work, you know, the non-parent working individual, that, that is a tough, um, that's a tough thing to mediate because I, I feel like both sides are right. I, I don't feel I'm a I'm a parent. I just had a baby. Uh, he's about to be four weeks. <laughs> Thank oh, you. Thank you. That's small. That's recent. Yes. Oh, no. We, he's about to be four weeks old uh, tomorrow as of this recording. So we're recording on a Monday. Uh, so tomorrow he'll be four weeks old. And point of information from the producer, um, Angel is still technically on a paternity leave. He comes what? back to the office officially tomorrow. So I hope that this is like a super worthwhile conversation that makes it worth, you know, doing it on your leave. And congratulations to uh, whoever birthed your baby into the world as well. That's yes, yes. No, my, my wife, uh, who's in the room actually right now with him. Um, no, uh, this is, I love doing the podcast. So when, when they uh, emailed me and said, hey, we're going to do a podcast about empathy, I said, sign me up. I will, I will stop anything. I, I will carry baby. the baby during the recording. But my wife graciously took it to the room and said, okay, we'll, <laughs> we'll let uh, you record. Well, and and you, you might end up editing this stuff out. But uh, what, is, what is the name of your baby that I'm uh, his, his name is Arthur. Arthur, I like that. Oh, we are a nickname family with all of my children. And I can already think of a handful of great nicknames. If you are a nickname family, that an we, we are, I just, we haven't found anything that's stuck yet so far. I mean, you know, you can go through yeah. the, there's tons of you know, R2D2 from Star Wars. <laughs> you know, you can, you can, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting a thumbs up for Brian. Yeah. Um, you could go with so many of them. We haven't really found one that we're like, oh, you know, he kind of, yeah, we should do this one. But um, as soon as we do, we'll let everybody know. No, but he's, uh, he's great. So just, I'm sorry, folks, we got off topic, but uh, we'll, we'll bring it back here in a second. <laughs> um, but yes, so I could see where that, uh, you know, discussion between parents and non-parents is really a sticky situation because I honestly, personally, I don't see that neither side is wrong. I see that both sides have uh, very valid arguments. Um, if the individuals that do not have kids prove that they were as productive as they were before the pandemic, why, why isn't it okay for them to just stay home too, to be right. able to work from home as the working parents? I mean, I can, uh, I can attest to that. I have uh, Arthur now, but I also have a, a seven-year-old. And so he, he was going to school. He was doing uh, work here. So we had to juggle everything. And at the same time, we were, you know, my, both my wife and I are working parents. We both were able to prove to our uh, significant uh, employers that we could do the job from home. Um, and so that, I think that is a great example of empathy, of just sitting down and actually talking out the pros and cons and just kind of putting into each in the individual's place. Yeah, a line that I use is, you don't know what you don't know, um, mm -hmm. which should put us in a posture of curiosity. I also have a whole section um, when I facilitate, we talk about imagination and empathy. Because like you were saying, so I also, I'm a parent of four children in the midst of the pandemic. What that means is that I really have no idea what it was like 
for someone who was single, who was shut up in their house, who was only communicating over Zoom. And I actually have to work for it. Like I'm not intuitively going to get it. I remember knowing like a person or two at that time, and they would talk about how lonely they were. And in my mind, my gut level response is, I would love to be lonely. I have not been lonely in months because like my house is crawling with people and we got bunnies and like we, we did all the things. Um, but how it relates to a meta level point, which gets to how we organize teams, how we manage organizations. Every organization actually already has a de facto way that they are dealing with people's disruptive life events. Like when I talk about doing sessions to skill people up, they'll think, oh, maybe this is like a whole new thing. No, the reality is you already have a way of doing things. You just haven't codified it or trained for it. And oftentimes you're reaping the ill effects. Mm -hmm. Like if you have a manager who has just resigned him or herself to say, let's say herself, because empathy is not a gendered thing. Um, this, you know, I'm not good at it. This shouldn't be expected of me. Like work stays at work, home stays at home. Um, and she's constantly making decisions that don't honor the whole person and make it as a culture of fear where anything that would detract from, you know, a coworker's productivity is only going to be used against them. Then what people on her team are doing is they're stuffing their disruptive life events. And those things will come out. They will come out in your body. They'll come out in some big explosion, you know, five months down the line in some meeting where somebody's like, oh my gosh, why are they so angry and stressed out? Yes. And really it's because you don't have a good system to be getting this kind of information on the front end. You know, it's better to know about things when they're at their beginning point and when they're small, when you can be helpful or supportive instead of reaping the whirlwind, you know, four, eight, 12 months down the line. No, it's, I, I agree with everything you said, which actually it brought up something that I wanted to ask you about. And that is from a leadership perspective, how can a leader be more effective and more empathetic? Is there a way for a leader who, you know, somebody who might be listening in right now and might be asking the same questions or having the same thoughts that you just mentioned, how can that person be you know, instead of taking, I hate to say the easy way out of just saying, okay, I've resigned myself. I can't do this. Here you go. Here are the keys to the kingdom. Somebody else can do this. How can they then just come in and kind of just, okay, give me the back the keys to the car. I'm going to put this on drive and we're going to go. 100%. There are things that they can do. The first is just a framing question. Instead of seeing empathy as a squishy personality trait that some people have and some people don't, Leaders need to transition to say, this is an essential leadership capacity that affects my people and my bottom line. Therefore, I'm going to improve in it. And like, that's an important place to start. And, if, you know, maybe our conversation will go that way. But there's so much data, like it does affect your profitability. And it does affect the tenure, the attraction, the retention of your people. So first, it's that formative, like, okay, I'm in, I want to skill up. Then I find that one of the best ways to begin skilling up is I introduce people to um, this handful of empathy avatars, which are kind of manifestations of the bad behaviors that we bring to these sorts of situations. Uh, I do that for a number of reasons. One, um, it kind of depersonalizes it. It's not like, 
Angel, you do this and it drives me crazy. It's like, oh, you are being a fix it Frank at this moment. So like a fix it Frank is <laughs> always focused. Yeah, people laugh because they instantly identify. Fix it Frank, they are oftentimes promoted. They're oftentimes on executive teams or they lead in HR because they're really great problem solvers. But if they lead with problem solving, and um, I, I give this example, like we know it in our personal lives. If I have had a really hard work day where calls have kept dropping and the children have been terrible to each other and the dog has puked on the floor and I tell my husband and partner Luke about it and the first thing he says is if you didn't feed the dog table scraps, he wouldn't throw up on the floor. I think like, you're such a jerk. You totally missed me. Like I was telling you about my horrible day and you're so tone deaf, but we do this in workplace situations all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so based on your posture, I'll, I'll give you one more. There's seven. Um, a cheer up Cheryl is another really common one. Um, oh. This type of person so desperately wants you to look on the bright side um, that she traffics all the time in uh, cliches. A favorite phrase is at least, or all of those things like, it's always darkest before the dawn, like always trying to push someone. And that makes somebody conclude like, one, you don't get it. And two, either I've got to conceal what I'm really feeling or I've just got to pretend. And again, this is like, you can't get the information you need. So there's, um, there's seven of those primary postures that I introduce people to. And then there are some um, like avatar specific tips for a certain type. Uh, if you're a buck up Bobby, always wanting people to persevere, you know, you mm -hmm. should do this. But just a basic rule of thumb uh, for someone who's listening and intrigued, but still wants something actionable to come away with. Here's a great phrase um, to be able to say. You can say something like, I don't even know what to say right now, but I'm really sorry this has happened. Or gosh, that sounds really hard. Like even that, even if that's just a starting point, that, um, that'll really go a long way of giving somebody a pause and being like, yeah, I'm heard. Um, uh, another thing is to do emotional mirroring. This is another like kind of quick and dirty rule of thumb. Really start listening for like the feelings that the other person is saying. If they appear very angry, think they seem angry right now and say back to them something like, that seems really frustrating. Like, because the, the primary thing that people want to know is that they are seen and heard in their right. mind overwhelmed. Like that's the differentiating point from something that is hard, even in brain science versus becoming trauma. Do you have community and people that see and hear you in that? So even just that act of like saying something back to someone is really powerful. Um, there are a number of other tips for leaders, but at the risk of monologuing, let me just pause there. Thank you for listening into this week's edition of Ask Ye Anything presented by Mosier Consulting. We hope you enjoyed listening to part one of our conversation about empathy in the workplace with Liesl Murtis. Join us next week when we bring you part two of this conversation in which we dive into how empathy is linked to productivity. So please stay tuned for that. And remember, if you have an idea or a topic you'd like us to explore, please reach out through us through our social media channels. In the meantime, please remember to give us a rating and subscribe to our feed wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, I'd like to leave you with an Albert Einstein quote. Empathy is patiently and sincerely seeing the world through the other person's eyes. It is not learning school. It is cultivated over a lifetime. So long, everybody. Mm -hmm.
go.